you're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of A Lady and Some Dude Podcast. Today we start off with a grateful moment. Hey y'all, Dion here. And one thing that I am thankful for this week is I am thankful that all of my co-hosts are here on the line and alive. And um, I say that not tongue in cheek, but you have to recognize the climate um, that we are in, a lot of the social issues that we are dealing with. And, you know, the, the Black man essentially is becoming an endangered species. And so, the fact that I get to talk and interact with my guys is is what I'm grateful for today. Um, hey, y'all, this is Evan. Uh, to to Dion's point, I'm thankful to be alive, thankful uh, that knowing my family's been uh, seriously affected, but I'm also thankful that um, this week my church took uh, steps towards getting into a semblance of normalcy. We had a, a drive-up church service and uh, so I'm thankful we get that accomplished and hopefully we can do more going forward, particularly in our community as these issues are mounting in Charlotte. What's up, everybody? It's Kel here. Um, I definitely am torn. I was torn even about having a grateful moment this week uh, because of the climate of our country. Um, but I'm thankful for, if I can, if I can say what I'm thankful for, it would be definitely for a podcast like this. I had to echo what Dion was saying. It's important to have uh, spaces where you can, you know, take your mind off of things that's going around and it's healthy to kind of uh, distract yourself with some things that's pleasurable for yourself. So I'll, I'm thankful for podcasts and I'm thankful for this team and I'm thankful for everybody that's listening as well. Well, this is Phil. I'm really thankful he stole my thunder for this team, for taking this venture with me and the opportunity to do this. And I'm thankful for the many people we have gone to meet and have met. And also I'm thankful for my family who keeps me in a straight and narrow, which is my church family and my um, immediate family and those around me. So I'm thankful for that. Today we're joined by a special guest, Johnny Willis. He is known as the driver for Sky Pippen and also have an interesting background career. So we thank you for joining us on this show. And we're going to start off with the first question. Johnny, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, grew up in, born and raised in Chicago. Um, attended Shiloh Academy. Go, I uh, attend Shiloh Church. Uh, went to Oakwood. Stayed down there for four years. I have a degree in elementary education. I never used it. And um, I have two daughters and two grandkids. Divorced. I'm I'm the divorced father of two. Okay, Johnny. Um, tell us what it was like being the driver for Scotty Pippen. Uh, I started out, Scotty got here in 1987. I started out as his uh, part-time driver. In 1989, the gentleman before me, he abruptly quit. So that was, Scotty was my um, primary assignment. He was, um, it started off, he was pretty cool to work for. And I would, uh, I could see his attitude and demeanor changing after a while. After about 
a year and a half with him, his attitude, it got, uh, it got worse. It, it wasn't towards me. It was stuff that was happening within the, um, the Bulls organization. Um, and he just became, I think he became mean after that. That's what I'll say. He became kind of mean after that one, after that. Uh, I don't know if it had something to do with his contract, which he was told not to sign. A lot of people don't realize about his contract. Mm -hmm. He got a lot of his money on the front end. And he was told that if you get your money on the front end, when the contract is about to end, it's going to look like you're not getting paid anything. Um, People don't realize Scotty at one time was the highest paid person on the Bulls on the front end of his deal. Had he spread it out, it would have balanced out, but he didn't do that. Okay. And um, you mentioned that his attitude changed about a year and a half in, and you kind of walked us through some of the contractual issues that he may have had. Do you think anything else um, contributed to that attitude change? What can you glean from what was happening with Scotty around that time? Well, me personally, I thought he was jealous of Michael. Um, everything, everything Michael did, he wanted to do. He didn't have, he didn't have Michael's endorsements. He couldn't get Michael's endorsement. Um, and so if Michael put it like this, if Mike bought a new car, he wanted to buy one, but his finances were not dictating that he could do what Michael was doing. And it was like, uh, he was, he would sit, they didn't talk a lot. That's what people fail to realize. They did not talk a lot. His best friend was Horace. Him and Horace would talk a lot, but him and Mike would talk. Uh, when it was necessary on the court, off the court, they go their separate ways. Hey, 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 Johnny, this is Kelvin right here. My question, my question I had for you was, um, we all, I, I assume that you've seen the documentary. Um, yeah. So my question was, a lot of people felt that, um, you know, Scotty got a bad look at the documentary. Uh, I want to know from your view. How'd you feel that the, he was portrayed in the uh, Last Dance documentary? I thought it was accurate. And they, they left stuff out. I can't say what they left out, but they left stuff out. I thought the documentary was, documentary was uh, I thought it was accurate. I mean, um, Scott, they made him, by me watching it, I'm surprised. I'm be honest with you. I'm surprised that documentary ever came out. I remember when they were shooting it. I didn't think that that would ever uh, come to light, but uh, it was accurate. Scotty was late for practice a lot. I mean, they we have a pickup time for him. He'd probably call and say, hey, I'll go there myself. Um, so we wouldn't go get him. And find out later he was 15, 20 minutes late for practice. The thing about Michael is best player in the world, but he was always 30 minutes ahead of time for practice. Hmm. And he saw the other, some of the guys, they started coming in there when he yelled at them. Uh, Michael and my dad and Michael's dad, I duped my dad to 
uh, practice a couple of times when he retired. And my dad's from Asheville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And for some strange reason, he knew him and Mr. Jordan started talking. And Mike, after a practice one day, Mike came, he was, I mean, he was getting in the folk. They had lost like two in a row and he was going off. And Mike, after practice, walked over and he said, you think I was too hard on him? And my dad told him, when you were, when you the boss, you're going to step on some folk toes. Mm. He said, you're going to step on some uh, people's toes. And he said, if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Mm. And um, my dad, who never watched basketball, did not even know who Michael was. I had to tell him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, he just told him, because my father, that's how, I'm not trying to say my dad was mean, but that's the way, he had six, It's I have six older brothers. Mm. He expected us to be on time. He expected us to do what we had to do. I am 57 years old now. I have called in, in my 35 years of working, I've probably called in work twice because of my father. His goal, his motto was, if you can walk, you can work. And that's where we got our work at the time, him. Okay. And so we spoke a little bit about um, Pippin's change in attitude. Um, would you say that his attitude changed any when um, Michael Jordan retired the first time in 1993? Uh, he was happy about it, actually. He, I remember... Um, when Mike retired, everybody was upset. He wasn't. He told everybody, it's my team now. It's He said, it's my team now. He, okay. Um, Phil looked at him. He said, it's my team now. And Phil told him, I expect you to be a leader then. But he was, I think he was kind of soft on the guys. He wouldn't, he wasn't Michael. Michael would drive you hard. Scotty would. Scotty was to put you put his arm around you type of person and say, okay, okay, all right, you know, do this, do this. He wouldn't, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't forceful with them. They were totally different in their um, leadership styles. So what was it like, um, everyone remembers the last dance after Scotty took that, uh, sat on this bench instead of coming in when Kuka took the shot. How mean was Scotty when you got him off the plane? Or how mean was he when you were driving next practice? Or did any change happen? Um, he said that after he got chewed out in the locker room by Bill Cartwright, he, there was a door he could go out because you notice he never spoke to the media after that. So we went out the door, got the car. He said he'd do it again. He, he was upset he didn't get the ball. He was very upset he did not get – I mean, to this day – I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, last time I probably talked to him or texted him was after the first last dance was over. And I just sent him a text to ask him if he was okay. And he sent a LOL back. And that's the last I heard from him. But he, he thought he should have got that ball. If you ask him today, he would still say that. Uh, he was very upset he didn't get it. And I said, but you won. He said it didn't matter. Wow. 
I man, I forgot my question actually, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going. I'm just going to fly right here with this one. Um, you've talked about uh, Scotty being being somewhat jealous, so that's how you perceived it to be. Um, what was Scotty's like day to day? Was his stardom? Was he jealous of the stardom uh, of Michael Jordan? And what was like comparatively? How was his stardom compared to Michael Jordan? Um, you know, as far as like the fans around the world, and especially in Chicago too. I recall we were, uh, it's a way you come in and we were walking down the hallway. You know, I was carrying the shoes. Uh, I, I had to carry shoes in this bag and I don't know why he could carry it himself, but you know, he saw Michael's driver, George carrying his stuff. So I had to carry his stuff and it was a bunch of kids. They walked up to Scotty was asking for autographs. And he was he signed a couple and then Michael came in. Everybody left Scotty and went to Michael. And that set him off to no end. And then when they came back, he said, I'm not signing nothing and walked off. Wow. Yeah. So did you so did you so you knew you noticed you could just notice visibly how Scotty became, you know, more of a bitter person because of Mike. Because he's like portrayed, um, you know, when well, I even hear Mike talk about him, it's like, yo, Batman and Robin. So are you saying that you feel as though Scotty didn't like being Robin or, you know, can you keep Scotty did not like being Robin. He didn't um he he didn't like being Robin. And I guess I can tell this one. Mike offered to play him in one-on-one one practice. Mike said, let's play. He wouldn't do it. He would not play. I would have loved to have seen that, but uh, he would not play him one-on-one. Because Mike had this look in his face like, go ahead and play me. I'm going to destroy you. But he wouldn't play him. And I'm kind of glad they didn't play because I don't know what would have happened after that. Because that's what happened with Dennis Hobson. I don't know if you all heard that story. No. Now, could you retell the story? Yeah, Dennis Hobson was on the Bulls. I, I guess he was trash-talking Mike. And they played one-on-one. Now, Dennis Hobson was decent before he got on the Bulls. And Mike played him one-on-one. Mike beat him the first time 24 to nothing. Second time, Mike beat him 24 to two. Mike told him the third game, if you score more than six points on me, I'll give you my card. Mike beat him again. Dennis Hobson was not right after that at all. (laughs) He was not. I think the Bulls wound up cutting him, too. Let them go. Wow, that's crazy. People don't. People are surprised. Michael took um, Jamal Crawford's car. They were playing. They were playing. Mike killed him. They played for their car. Mark said, Michael said, "You can have my Bentley, and I'll take your." Uh, I forgot what kind of car Jamal Crawford was driving. And Michael beat him and told him, "I hope somebody can give you a ride home." And took his car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So it, it seems like the moral of the story is um, Michael is Michael and no one is better than him, no matter what people feel internally. No. And I heard LeBron say last week that uh, his game, he would have loved to play with Mike. His game would have uh, his game would have been perfect for Mike. Mike would have never played with LeBron. Never. Why is that? Mike would have wanted to kill him. <laughs> People don't realize Clyde Drexler was a LeBron back in Michael's day. Clyde had a nice skill set, but you see what Mike did to him. Remind, yeah. remind yeah. me what he did to him. Just for some of those who don't know. The playoff game, um, he told Magic the night before that he was going to kill him. Um, Mike was sitting in the locker room before that uh, Portland game, the first game. And he's sitting there and he's looking. And all he said was, I feel sorry for Clyde tonight. That's all he said. I feel sorry for Clyde. And because somebody had told him, that Clyde was close to him in playing, and Mike did not like that at all. He did not like that at all. So he said, I'll show him. He couldn't stand Dan Marley. He couldn't stand Clyde Drexler. Um, only person I think Mike was scared of, and you all probably are too young to remember this guy, uh, Alvin Robertson. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember Allen Robinson. I don't. Allen Robinson went to the University of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. He was uh, a taller Patrick Beverly. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. If you got 20 points on Alvin, you were bruised up at the end of the game. That's when they could play physical. That's the only person Michael did not talk trash to. That's the only person I've seen him not talk trash to. Alvin was crazy. <laughs> um, I just wanted to uh, follow up on something you mentioned earlier in the interview. Um, you mentioned that Scotty was pretty much happy when Mike retired and said, this is my team now, right? Um, yeah. How did Scotty deal with the fact that um, it was his team, but he wasn't able to bring a chip home in those in that two-year period? Um, when they started focusing on him, he didn't like it. The thing is, I think if they had a one, I don't think Michael would have came back. Um, but Mike made Judd Bushler, I talked to him probably about a month ago. He said, Michael made us all millionaires because they all got big contracts because of Michael. Right. Um, I don't think he liked it. And I, the other time I saw him real upset was when, um, I'm not a Knicks fan, but when Hugh Hollis made that call. When Hugh Hollins made that call on that three-pointer, and he said that uh, I think it was Allen Houston that was shooting it, and they called the foul, and Scotty went off, and I remember Hugh Hollins died. Uh, not too, he died about I want to say about five six years ago, 
Scotty said good. He's still upset about that call. He, you think Michael held grudges? Scotty held grudges. Wow, yeah, that's evidence in the, with between him and Charles Barkley, and it's, yeah, we could see that Scotty's a but a, a vocal with his. If you notice, everybody that Michael was friends with in the league, Scotty did not like them. Ewing, Barkley, Oakley, Scotty didn't like them. Simply because, and I think Michael could have offered at times, hey, Scotty, we going out to grab a meal. You want to go? Um, you tell Michael no once that he's not going to ask you again. Do you do you think that um, when you look at Scotty Pippen's game, um, how his game evolved? Do you think he would have been the player that he was without Michael Jordan being on his team? Oh man! Um, well, you saw that when Mike left for a couple of years. I don't think so. I think he would have been good, but I don't think he would have been the player he was because a lot of attention was focused on Michael. Even though Mike Scotty could do stuff Michael couldn't do. Scotty could go left and dunk on you. Mike, if you look at that, Mike might have did that twice in his career. Scotty could go left or right. Mike did not go left real well. And Mike could get to his spot quicker because he was quick. But Scotty could get there. He had a long stride. He had long arms. I always thought that um, he was a better defender than Mike. Um, if you notice that when um, when they played the Lakers the first time, I actually thought Scotty should have got MVP for that championship series. Hmm. So did he. Um, Magic was eating Michael up. Magic was eating Michael up, and Scotty said, I'll get him. And that's the first time I said, heard Michael say, okay. And that's when the series turned, when Matt, when Scotty picked up Mike Magic. Mm -hmm. That's when the series turned. They, Michael actually could not guard. He had trouble guarding folk in that series because, if you remember, they switched Michael off on James Worthy. Worthy was killing him. Mm -hmm. Phil was trying to figure out who could Michael guard because Magic was Magic was beating him Worthy was beating him and I guess they they kind of made some defenses switches but I actually believe Scotty should have got if not MVP, co-MVP in that series So I'm going to ask a question do you think the bitterness came from not bitterness but the recognition he didn't get as enough recognition as he was a uh, cog to the theme to the team. Yeah, Horace was the same way though. They both thought that um, you're not on Michael's level, but they thought they were. I mean, I've I've played on teams, and you know, it's not at their level, but I played on a team with this guy named Eddie Turner. Evan knows him. And I knew my role, and I loved when I was out there on the court with Eddie. 
they gonna focus on Eddie. You can leave me open all day, and I loved it. Go ahead, Scotty wanted to. Well, Scotty wanted to double team. I've never heard anybody wanted to be double teamed in my life, but that's what he wanted. He wanted to show that I can be the double team. Now you notice when Scotty left the Bulls, he went to Houston. He did nothing. Scotty lasted in Houston maybe a year or two. Mm-hmm. They didn't do nothing in Portland. So that goes to show you Scotty needed Michael, even though he would never admit it. So uh, changing gears a little bit, um, when Scotty and MJ went to the Dream Team, how, how mm-hmm. does Scotty feel about playing on the Dream Team? And how does Scotty feel about Isaiah Thomas? Scotty to this day, and I think um, – I think the Isaiah Thomas thing has gone too far, to be honest with you. Um, Isaiah has his issues, but you got to understand that the time it was, uh, Isaiah did not like Mike because Mike came here, and this was Isaiah's town before Mike came. I think what ticked Isaiah off, and it seems minor, Isaiah's nephew would walk around with a Michael Jordan jersey on. And that set Isaiah off to no end. Um, and Mike used to laugh at it. Mike used to hit jumper and uh, tell Isaiah, I got a jersey for your nephew. Mike saw stuff he didn't think he saw. And he would use that as fuel. And I, I, Michael was not the only one that did not want Isaiah on a dream team. His coach could have spoke up for him, but never did. Uh, I don't think if it wasn't for Michael, I don't think Scotty would have been on that dream thing. I, I really don't. Wow. Even when the dream team, you very see, they show clips of the guys. Carl Malone was not well-liked either. So you rarely see a clip of Scotty and Carl Malone when they show uh, the dream team. Nobody talked to them. Everybody had their groups. Mike was friends with Patrick and Chuck Daly. They went golfing all the time. Barkley had his friends. Larry and Magic hung out. Um... But you never see Scotty hanging out with anybody. You never saw him. You never. He was dealing with some uh, uh, personal issues at that time, also. But you never saw him hanging out with anybody. Right now, I'm surprised he's on um, ESPN because that was not him. He would, you know, that was not his thing. He did not uh, like talking to the media. Um, cause he always thought they were going to ask him something personal. Um, so he would slip out, but when he saw the media around Michael's locker, he would get upset. How come they ain't come talking to me? Dude, you said you didn't want to talk to him. He didn't like a marble shot cause I'm shot and Michael were tight. He would have been a better player. I think if. He didn't have any jealousy or animosity. 
That's just that's what I that's just what I think. You can't play with you can't if you're playing organized sports or any any organized sport, you can't or team sport, you can't have animosity toward one of your teammates. It's gonna throw you off. That's worse than getting double teamed, if you ask me. Wow. Oh wow. So, um, <clears throat> Mr. Willis, we want to thank you so much. And definitely we'll bring you back on the show. And we thank you for your time. Um, there's anything else you would like the people to know before? You... <clears throat> yeah, I'm, uh, I, I watch you all on Sundays, actually. Um, love your show. Have you back on anytime you want to. Dion, looking forward to arguing with you sometime this week, though. You already know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Johnny. We appreciate you. All right. right, You guys take care. Take care. Have a good one. Have a good one. Here at Some Lady and Some Dude podcast, we're entering the courtroom session. Today, Evan will utilize the evidence that came out stating that he did and is the cause of Isaiah being left off the dream team. Dion will present evidence that Michael Jordan is not the reason Isaiah was left off the dream team. And Calvin will give his perspective. Court is this session. So here's my thing. As it relates to Michael Jordan and whether or not he is responsible or shares, I'll, I'll more so say not responsible, but shares the responsibility of um, Isaiah Thomas not being on the team. I would say most definitely he shares in responsibility because he did not want to play with Isaiah Thomas. And if you're building a team and you're trying to build the best team uh, ever assembled, you're going to need the best player who's going to play to play. And so Michael Jordan, being the best player on the planet, who you know has a difficult relationship with Isaiah Thomas, who you know doesn't want to play with him. If you know he doesn't want him on the team, of course, the team, the people around him and the people building a team are going to do what they can to keep him off the team. And so is Mike Jordan solely responsible? No. Does he share the responsibility? Yes. And that's my case. Here is where I have the issue with that argument, because now it seems to me that we are essentially penalizing Michael Jordan for the platform he created based on his talent, right? So the question is whether or not Michael Jordan directly had an impact on leaving Isaiah Thomas off of this team. My position is Michael Jordan stated that if Isaiah Thomas is playing, I will not play, right? Then based on that um, statement, higher ups, leadership decided, well, we want Michael Jordan to play. We're not going to have Isaiah Thomas on the team. I don't think it is fair at that point to now say, oh, Jordan, because you you know, you came in and, and you're the greatest player on the planet. Um, just because you made a statement where people acted in response to the statement, 
I don't think it's fair that that we put that on on Michael Jordan at all. You know what I mean? And and Michael Jordan was very clear. There is no tape of Michael Jordan saying, leave Isaiah Thomas off of the team. There is nothing, right? And so I don't like this idea of placing this blame just because of the status that Michael Jordan attained for, you know, and equating him saying, I don't want to play with Isaiah Thomas as being the reason or, or, you know, that, that is why Isaiah Thomas was left off the team. And um, I want to read like a direct quote from the last dance, because I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, there's this tape that says he doesn't want to play with Isaiah Thomas. And he directly contradicts what he said in the last dance. So let me read the exact quote from the last dance. And it says, and I quote, I respect Isaiah Thomas's talent. To me, the best point guard of all time is Magic Johnson, and right behind him is Isaiah Thomas. No matter how much I hate him, I respect his game. Now, it was insinuated that I was asking for Thomas to be left off the team, but I never threw his name in there, end quote. And from all the evidence presented, um, Michael Jordan did not lie. I just don't understand, um, you know, why we are so caught up in, oh my gosh, he lied on a documentary. Show me the lie. Show me where there were inconsistencies in a prior statement and any statement that he made on the last dance. There is none. Yeah, I'm, first of all, I don't argue with lawyers. I think lawyers should argue with lawyers. So I'm not gonna argue with Dion ever. Um, <laughs> I was going to point out some, a couple things, you know, Evan point, I understand it completely, but I wouldn't argue with that point from where he came from. Um, Evan stated that because Michael Jordan was the best player, um, it, it caused, uh, it caused them to uh, force Isaiah's hand, not being on the team or force the leadership's hand to not have Isaiah playing. What I would say is, a better argument would not be him being the best player because that didn't matter. You know, they, were, they weren't like they were playing against other NBA talent. They were playing against overseas players that were totally less than, than the NBA players. So they, without, with Michael Jordan, without Michael Jordan, they still beating those teams by 20 points. I think it was probably more so just because Michael Jordan was the biggest brand um, at that time. So Michael Jordan, like Deion said, he never said, um, he never told, he said he never told Rod Thorne directly that if Isaiah, he said he might have insinuated it, or they thought he insinuated it, but he never said it directly. And there's no proof of that. So we got to take him at his word for now. Um, but, you know, I think if I'm leadership, I got to call Michael Jordan's bluff. I should never let a player uh, dictate what I'm going to do as an organization, especially the USA Dream Team. Um, so if anything, it was up to them whether or not they was going to call Michael George Bluff to say, he's going to play, he's just talking, we'll see what he does at the end of the day. You know, for, for you know all intents and purposes, Chuck Daly was the coach. So, you know, if, if Chuck Daly doesn't want his player on the team, you know, he should have more say than Michael Jordan does at that time anyway. So, I, I mean – 
I just think at the end of the day, Michael Jordan, what he said was a true statement. But I think it was just, you know, if we're going to blame somebody, we should blame USA Basketball for not having Isaiah on the team. I don't think it was up to Michael Jordan. I know it wasn't up to Michael Jordan. And uh, I think people just want to find another way to, to, to knock down that GOAT status of Mike. And they trying hard right now. It looked like it looked like they're doing a little bit too much. They reaching. And I agree with you, Kelvin. And and I want to point out something that I think you highlighted. This idea that um, Michael Jordan was on this level where he circumvents freedom of choice. That sounds so crazy to me. Like you're telling me. And I don't care, we all know who Michael Jordan was and we all know what he represented and he was the best ever, but you mean to tell me that grown professional men couldn't make their own decision? You know, as as to whether or not they would go forward with or without him? I agree, call him on his bluff. Like, you know, stop trying to place the blame. I'm all for accountability. Take accountability for the decisions that you made. And that was a decision that they made. What I, what I would say is this. I mean, all you guys are saying is great. It, it makes sense from a standpoint, but it's not real life. In real life, the most essential people get priority treatment. And we all know that. If, if, a, if an NBA player is a feature player on the, on the roster, it becomes a problem if the organization chooses a coach that the player doesn't want. If you want to build a dynasty, if you want to win, you compromise to get the best. And as was pointed out in a previous discussion um, that Kelvin made, having Isaiah Thomas on the team or not having him on the team is going to affect your ability to win or not. And so Isaiah Thomas was, at that point of his career, not an essential player. When you talk about an essential player to build a dream team, you need Michael Jordan. You need to keep him satisfied. You need to keep him happy. He is the best player. And so I'm not saying that the other people don't share the responsibility in Isaiah Thomas being left off. I'm saying, uh, and the quote said, the quote said from the, from the clip, Rod Thorne, this is Mike Jordan speaking, Rod Thorne called me. I said, Rod, I won't play if Isaiah Thomas is on the team. He assured me, he said, you know what? Coach Daly doesn't want Isaiah, so Isaiah's not going to be on the team, part of the team. So granted, I think Rod tries to shuck some responsibility and say, well, Daly doesn't want him on the team either. Uh, but I thought it was interesting in our interview, what was what our our interviewer said is Chuck Daly didn't speak up for him, not that Chuck Daly said, no, I, he's not going to be on the team. And so it seems like there was a mixing of words. Now, I mean, that's two different statements, right? And I'm sure our lawyer will pick that apart. Well, that's that's not what Jordan said. And so obviously, I don't know if we have a, a witness testimony, uh, mm -hmm. a clear indictment to say Michael Jordan holds exclusive responsibility for him not being on the team. But I think it's clear that he shares a share, he, he shares a responsibility for Isaiah Towns being off the off, left off team. And to be fair, and to be fair, I'm sure Isaiah Thomas plays a part in Isaiah Thomas not being on that team. Absolutely, because I, I think this negates and it goes back to what Calvin says. We are just at this point trying to blame the best player because if you go back and look at interviews with the other players on the Dream Team, nobody wanted Isaiah Thomas on there. Magic hated him. 
you know, Barkley didn't care for him. Scottie Pippen couldn't stand him. So now you got to look at it in a greater context. If Isaiah Thomas was selected, it would have been Isaiah Thomas and four random dudes that actually wanted to play with him. And so that's why for me, like this cannot be put on Jordan's shoulders, man. Like there was so much at play behind the scenes that I don't think is fair. And, and, and I'm going by just a strict interpretation of words because that's what lawyers do based on the words that Jordan said and putting them in their proper context. Um, there was at no time where there was in, an inconsistency in his now statement in the last dance and in his previous statement. And quite frankly, all of the statements can be reconciled to show one big ultimate conclusion. It was it was Isaiah's fault. Period. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think we all agree on that. I, I think the only reason George's name comes up, just to be fair, I think the only reason George's name comes up is because in the documentary it came up, and it seems that George was like, "Well, I don't really, you know, have anything to do with it at all." And so that's the only reason. I think we all agree Jordan is still the goal. I don't think it, I don't think this affects his resume. I mean, mm-hmm. look. I don't care if you're the worst person on earth. You're the goat. If you're the goat, you're the goat. Right. Um, so, yeah. But good argument. I hold my position. You hold yours. And I guess we'll let the people decide their own opinions. Okay. So, everyone, go on Instagram and vote who was right. Dion? Of course. <laughs> so, vote and let us know. So, go to our Instagram, Our Lady and Some Dude. And please vote, and we'll let you know the results on the next episode. So let's transition. Damian Lillard, his comments for about the reopening of the NBA. He stated that he don't, doesn't want to come back unless they have something to play for. So, Calvin, this is your realm. How do you feel about Damian Lillard's comments? You know what, Phil? I'm, uh, honestly, guys... I'm I'm torn, um, but I can definitely say I understand. You know, um, I didn't like some of the comments he made. You know, but you know, overall, just me looking at at, at the first comment, he was saying, you know, he want to come back and play for no reason. I can understand that. Um, but the thing about it is, one is that if he was, if they were still under a regular season. If he was not in playoff contention, he still would have to play or he still would be playing more than likely. Um, but but then um, I think uh, I think he has a strong point as far as the predicament that we're in right now as a country uh, with the virus and everything like that. It's, it's, it's no reason if his team doesn't have a chance to compete and go into that play play in round for him to go out there and risk injury. You know, some of the things he stated was, you know, people can get hurt trying to come back to a high level competition uh, with a break and a layoff like that. So he's worried about that. So, you know, he, he of course he has some good points. And I think people, like he said uh, later on, that they took took his statements out of context or whatever. Um, but, you know, overall, just looking at it, I understand what he's saying as a player, but as a fan, you still want to see, uh, that guy play. You still want to see the best player on your team play um, because that's what you watch for. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm torn, but if I had to pick a side, I would go with Lillard on this, uh, Dane Dollar, and I would roll with him, what he said on his comments. So, Evans, what are you thinking about this statement? And So, I, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think, I think one, I think if he doesn't play – so I really wonder, what's a payment situation looking like, right? Because I know players have been affected by not getting paid uh, by not participating because there have not been games. The revenue has not come in. So one, if he still gets paid, then he should play if healthy. That's what I'll say. If, if they're still getting paid and they're going to make up the back pay, I think he will play <laughs> if, his, if money is tied to it, right? That, that's his job. He's paid to do that. Uh, and he's fully healthy. It's not like he is compromised or, you know, if he's concerned about his health, that's another thing, right? Uh, but I really think the root of Dame Dallas' comments are rooted in the fact that, one, we play for championship. And so on the one end, we would celebrate that in the sense of we don't want um, – we don't want the NBA – Play. We don't want an NBA team. If we're a fan, Knicks fans, you guys understand this clearly. You don't want to have a team that's not a championship contender, and you don't want a team that's uh, a seventeen, 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 seventeen. So he's demonstrating one. He he's our championship. So that's great. And there's so many players that it seems like they're more concerned about their brand, more concerned about uh, what they look like than about putting the ball in the hoop and winning championships. Uh, but I think Dame Dollar's comments are rooted also in the fact that he, you know, he has one more year left on his deal. How would he feel if he came back for a meaningless game, got injured, wasn't able to come back until midway or halfway through the season, maybe a torn ACL, and then he's trying to get a new contract, a Supermax contract, uh, after 20, uh, for the 21-22 season going forward? Because, you know, the thing about the NBA – there's no – it's more secure than the NFL. There is security, but there's no security around the contract year if you're not able to play. So I think his real concern is I don't get injured to an extent because, look, if they start July 31, they're talking about, right, later in the year. So whenever they do come back to regular play, guess what? He's going to miss maybe the whole season based on an injury if he were to get injured. With that being the case – with a Supermax on the table, if he's they would stay healthy, why play a meaningless game if he's healthy now, can play the next season if, if he continues to get hurt and miss out on a Supermax deal because no one wants to pay him? Look at uh, what, what they did with um, DeMarcus Cousins. Valid points. Dan? Okay, so Dame is my boy, all right? So... If it's Dame Dalla, I'm a holler. I'm with him on this. And I think Evan made a lot of good points with respect to potentially playing meaning, meaningless games, being injured, um, you know, because we have to look at the whole landscape, not just these last few games, but what the future can hold um, for Dame as far as a potential future contract, et cetera. But I'm looking at this more from a playoff perspective. So last week on the podcast, I mentioned that there are about 16 games left in the season if we were playing a traditional season, 
right? And so Portland has 16 games left to play. They are three and a half games out from number eight in the West. Okay, so I don't know if that is registering for people, but with 16 games left and being three and a half games out, I think they have a legitimate chance potentially to make the playoffs. Right. Um, What is interesting about that perspective is team number 10, which is the Pelicans and the Kings um, number 11, they are also three and a half games out from number eight on the West. And so I think it is patently unfair for teams to be this close potentially to making the playoffs, right? 16 games left. And you basically tell them, hey, come on at the end of the season and get a participation award. Your games mean nothing. You have no hope of making the playoffs. But because we have to meet the 70 or 75 game minimum, right, for TV revenue, come and just play the game. No, like, that's not why, unless, like Evan said, unless you're the Knicks, and that's my team, we're the only team that plays consistently for nothing at the end. But ultimately, the whole goal of a season is potentially to make the playoffs and ultimately to win the chip. I think what the NBA would do is essentially cut off a team's potential that can actually make the playoffs. And that just does not sit right with me. I think that's borderline offensive, right? So you're not talking about a team that's about 10 games out with 16 games left. You're not going to have much movement here. You're talking about a team that can legitimately make the playoffs. And they're essentially saying, hey, just come back and play. It don't really matter what you do. Um, You know, it is what it is. We already have our playoffs our playoff teams, our playoff seeded teams. And so like, damn, I'll be like, all right, um, well, I'm gonna stay home then because I'm good. You know, like, what is the point? Yeah. So, I, I mean, Dion, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm leaning towards what you're talking about a lot because mm-hmm. now I'm thinking, I'm just thinking about Dame. This, the, the guy off the court now, he's a smart dude. If you ever hear his mm-hmm. interviews, uh, his wordplay is real good. If you ever heard him rap before, mm-hmm. um, I know Dame is a, is a smart guy. All I think he's doing right now, to be honest, is, is lobbying for a playing tournament. That's all he's doing. I feel like he's trying to force the, he's trying to get momentum, uh, putting little sound bites in the media, trying to get the, the league to go to a, a situation where they would have a chance for them to make the playoffs. So of course, the only way you can do stuff like that is you gotta you gotta you gotta speak publicly, you gotta go on Jacoby and Jalen show, you gotta, you know, you gotta say certain things, uh get Dan Orlovsky in it. You gotta get get momentum and gotta get the ball rolling. So I think Dane right now, just being smart Dane that he is, and he's just and he's just uh pressing the NBA, pushing the NBA to make a new decision and and get them in the playoffs. Cause right now actually it only would be fair. I don't know how you would do it because it's not the same situation in the East as it is the West. The, the East is pretty much uh, straightforward. But the West, you know, you like 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 Deion says, about three teams that's out of um, eighth place. So they would have to do something creative, which I think they won't do. But I think Dame is smart for trying to put pressure on them to do that. So now it gets them, makes them make it a public decision. They get some, uh, you know, 
they get some out, outside interference that might cause them to change their mind and think about what Dame is saying as far as the play-in system. So I think it's smart on his point. And, and personally, I actually like a play-in system um, to a certain extent. I mean, I think I think the like the top top four seed should be secure for for let's say like in the West and East. But after that, I think a play-in will be good. Yeah, yeah for sure. I actually like that idea. But who plays in? That's the question. So so it's like. Who who actually plays in it? Is it just those teams that if you play, so you got to decide how many games you want to play. Um, it's a lot to go into that. And a lot of teams might question, you know, at the end of the day, well, we still might have had a chance to make it if y'all gave us two more games, you know. So it's, so it's, they try to make it fair to everybody. At the end of the day, y'all know what it is. Somebody's going to get left out. Somebody's going to be mad. But like I said before, and I'm going to stick with it, this shouldn't be called the Larry O'Brien championship this year this should be called something else they might as well just all right so i'm gonna get i'm gonna get real radical right now they might as well make it like a like a march madness situation <laughs> where where they do all the teams they might do the best out of three tournament like a uh, like they would do um but similar with the brackets like the ncaa but they just do best out of three with the teams and let's see what goes on from there because honestly it's not a real NBA season. I don't care what nobody says. It's not a real NBA season. So we might as well just combine uh, March Madness with the NBA <laughs> and see what happens. And, and term it March Sadness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to copyright that one. <laughs> but how would you if the Lakers get knocked out and somehow the Knicks win it all? Would you call that asterisk or just dreaming? No, I, yeah, I call that a miracle. I call that a miracle. I, I, right. that, that, that would be an additional book in the Bible. <laughs> we would have had a council and we have an additional book in the Bible and it would be the next chapter. So I don't think that will ever happen. But like I said, uh, you play two out of three games, it will be fun. You know, I would propose something like that, you know, just because – Nobody's. I mean, I really don't see guys. I don't really don't see how it can play out at Walt Disney. You know, people, people. You know, you have earning the team. You know, when you earn home court um, advantage and things like that, they play a, a, a great deal. You know, in winning the championship. So now, you know, it's a lot different. When everybody playing in the same venue uh, with people that earned the, the home court advantage is not getting it anymore. You know, so I'm just. I won't be impressed. I won't be moved if they have, you know, the season continue the way it is. And I just think they should make it look different because it is different. And, you know, just, just you know, that's just my opinion. I don't know how they're going to do it, actually, but I would throw that out there and see how they, you know, how they would take that one. To be fair, though, I think to be fair, check me on this. This basketball, any sport, is the great thing about March Madness is that any given team can make it. I think the difference is, right, as it relates to the NBA, in college basketball, college basketball has stacked teams. College basketball has NBA rosters for starting fives. And then you have guys that are pretty much, you know, they're low-tier Division One players. They have no NBA future. I think a, a tournament, and I wouldn't do best, best two out of three, I would do one. 
I think anybody can win because all it takes is right matchup and the best and and have a hot streak. So you know there are times when LeBron takes a night off. There are times when your best player doesn't have it, and a team like the Knicks or the team like the Pistons can pull off an upset. So you know I I would. I'd be very interested to see a tournament like that, but I would do just one for one. And maybe once you get to the final four, or yeah, once you get to like the final four, make it more of a series setup. So we know that the NBA is, is gonna is set to start July thirty first. And this weekend they plan to give some information. Uh, June first information on the setup. So we look forward to seeing what they plan to do and all these ideas were really great. But I have one question. Is D Hops the best wide receiver coming into 2020, 2021 season? No. No. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and look, Evan, you know, Evan, he's going to play that role, I know, because, you know, that's, that's my guy. I know how he thinks. So, if you look at the numbers, it's a maybe, right? But when you when you look at the numbers with the eye test, um, and, and you know, and, and, and view it like that, you will look at different receivers in the league and say, "Listen, I think there are some receivers just as good as him or better." So for him to be a clear number one is a stretch for me. Super stretch for me. I mean, me personally, I like Julio Jones over him. I would put him in the same tier as you would have uh, a Mike Thomas, uh, maybe Mike Evans, Odell Beckham. You know, it's it's certain guys that that belong in the same cluster. But for, uh, for him to just speak definitively, like, look, I'm that guy. I'm number one. He said, listen, Julio, my boy, but if I had Matt Ryan, you know, I would have had crazy numbers. He said, listen, mm-hmm. Mike, Tom, I, Mike Thomas, I talked to him on, uh, on uh, you know, online or whatever. He was like, if I had Drew Brees, then my numbers would be even crazier. And, you know, so, you know, when you hear that type of stuff, it sounds good. But when I watch, when I watch TV and when I look at these games and I look at the, the amount of force throws and the offense and things like that, he gets a lot of volume. You know, when you get a lot of volume, you know, chances are, you know, you're going to make plays, not taking nothing away from him because he still is an excellent above average receiver. But at the same time, when I look at other players that play his position, like a Julio Jones or maybe a Mike Thomas or Odell or a couple other games, a couple, couple other names I'm sure I can throw in, I'm thinking that they are just as good or a couple even better. So that's my stance. My concern with Julio, Julio, and I love Julio. I think Julio, from a talent perspective, is number one or number two receiver in the NFL. My concern with Julio, and this just comes from a fantasy perspective, I, I have fallen to the trap of drafting Julio Jones. Julio Jones is not a great fantasy option. He does not get TDs. And for some reason, for someone that size, that skilled, I'm not, I don't know if it's Matt Ryan, I don't know. But in the red zone, it's almost as if he disappears. No, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. We, we can't most say that. Touchdowns, most of his touchdowns are things he takes like 50 yards, 60 yards. You know what I'm saying? In the red zone, 
Matt Ryan does not throw his direction. Maybe he gives it's a run. I don't know why, but Julio Jones in the red zone should be like Randy Moss. He should just be like pulling them down. If you look, his red zone TDs are not high. Right, and 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 this is and this is and I'm gonna get we Dan, you gotta you gotta chime in here, but I want to say to that when I have the whole team, the whole secondary glued to me. You know what I'm saying? Like when you like it, it's it's the same thing when I was looking at Megatron when he was with Detroit. He would put up some crazy numbers, but a lot of seasons his touchdowns didn't reflect. It's because the whole team is over there <laughs> trying to keep you because you're the you're the main threat when we get to the red zone. We know we can't stop you. So it's a bunch of players, even where you know what bring back the Eagles thing where uh they did anything possible that year we were playing Atlanta in the playoffs. The, the uh, last second to get Julio the ball. And Julio got tripped, double coverage, pushed down, and still almost caught the ball off a bad throw. And the, everybody in the league knows his talent level. So I don't. I think it's more so not his bad production in the red zone. It's every, every defensive coordinator in the world knows they'll get fired if they don't just have extreme coverage and help over on to shed to his side during those uh, red zone opportunities. All right. So here's where I am with the D Hopkins. I'm the best player. I'm the best wide receiver in the league. First of all, it sounds eerily similar to a basketball somebody we know um, who declared they were the best in the world. Um, only to have Kevin Durant show him up. But um, anyway, <laughs> so... Um, Hopkins, let's just take a look at his numbers. He's been in the league for seven seasons. He only missed two games in seven seasons. Um, he has over a thousand receiving yards in five of those seasons. He averages about 78 yards a game, about five and a half catches a game, about 13, 13 and a half yards per catch, right? And I think what a lot of people don't really talk about is the quarterback situation that Hopkins had to deal with. This guy literally was playing on a Texans team that was playing Russian roulette with a plethora of quarterbacks. I mean, you have <laughs> Casey Keenum, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Mallet, Brandon Wheeler, Brock Osweiler, Lord help us, Tim Savage, it really wasn't until Deshaun Watson came along that he had a high quality, Pro Bowl caliber, um, consistent quarterback. And so you can make the argument that Hopkins talent is not a result of any system, right? Like he wasn't placed in a situation where he had, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time going to him, right? He kind of created um, his career and got his numbers based on his talent. And, and I don't think we can discount that, right? So with all that said, me bigging up Hopkins, here's why Michael Thomas is the best quarter, um, wide receiver in the league. So last season, I mean, I had the opportunity to watch Michael Thomas play a lot. But his numbers last year were like McDonald's numbers, okay? He had over 1,700 yards. He was averaging 107 yards a game. 
about nine catches per game with 11 targets, right? Are you guys hearing that? He was averaging nine catches per game with about 11 targets. We're talking about an 81% um, reception rate. That cannot be discounted. Um, only in NFL history, there were only eight receivers that have had over 1,700 yards. And, you know, we're talking about um, the likes of Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, Michael Irvin, Julio Jones. I mean, you're talking about the greatest of the greatest of all time, right? In the last four seasons, um, Michael Thomas has accumulated um, 5,512 yards in his first four seasons, more than all of the greats that I just mentioned. Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Michael Irvin, Terrell Owens, Julio Jones, and DeAndre Hopkins. This guy, if you watch him play, he can beat you with finesse, or he can just be stronger than you. Like, there is no weakness to Michael Thomas's game at all. And so while I think Hopkins is amazing, and I feel like we do need to account for what he has dealt with in his quarterback situations. And we do need to account for the fact that um, Michael Thomas has Drew Brees, who is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, I just cannot give him the nod. Um, Julio Jones is, is up there in the conversation too. Um, in 2018, he led the league in receiving yards, I think, that was the year where he didn't drop a pass. Um, Julio Jones is like freakishly fast. Like it is ridiculous, right? And since 2016, Julio Jones um, have had um, 5,900 yards, which is the most receiving yards of any of these people that we're talking about. So I think you can kind of insert, take out whoever you want. In that conversation, the nod for me is Michael Thomas. Hopkins is amazing, not taken away from his talent, but he is not the best. So, so, I, so what I want to say, I got to chime in on, on this one. Dion, you know, we we good, we we really good. I'm I don't want to let you slide on the Durant comment though. I guess we we'll have to revisit that soon. I guess I'll leave it alone right now. But if we want to make equivalent. I'll say Julio is more of a LeBron James to me in the NFL, mm. opposed to Mike Thomas. And here's why. Mike Thomas, I believe, is a product of a system. I feel, I feel as though he's moved on the outside. He moves on the inside. He gets intermediate routes. He has the luxury of having a system where – the uh, running back in Kamara has to be accounted for. Um, he always has uh, uh, the most accurate quarterback probably to ever play the position on his team. So I really think that 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 his numbers are slanted a little bit because, and I'm not taking away from him, but just just looking at the game, sometimes people are system players. The uh, hits. Um, uh, I.e. Draymond Green, <laughs> like he, he looks amazing. When you talk about, you know, in Golden State system with Clay and Steph, but, you know, this year when he didn't have them, 
he looked average at best. So I'm, I'm not saying that this guy's not talented, but when I think about the most talented player, you're putting up stats. But then looking at um, – listening to Lewis Riddick and uh, Foxworth, I think his name is, Dominique from uh, both cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. They were saying one of the things that NFL quarterbacks fear the most is speed. So when you look at somebody like Julio, super fast, freakishly athletic, vertical, probably a 40-inch, size already, speed, agility, route running, he has the total package. So I think the LeBron James comparison is wherever LeBron goes, whether you like it or not, the impact is made. And I feel as though Julio, because of his skill set, his talent, and his production, wherever he goes – He's going to do that. And I don't know if the th- same thing I can say for every receiver in the league. I think some people are surely a product, you know, of the quarterback and a product of, of the system that they play in. So, I mean, that would be my, ar- my counter argument to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, I do not think Hopkins <laughs> is a clear cut number one. But mm-hmm. if I had to have a clear cut number one, I think I would go Julio just off his body of work and his, his, his attributes. Yeah, and, and that's why I said, and, and I wouldn't be offended by it being Julio or Thomas, to be honest, because I do agree that with Thomas, I do have to account for the environment that he's playing in, right? Like, you can't negate that. But can we realistically say that if he was not in this Saints situation that he wouldn't still excel at that position. I think that's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, I agree that it's, it's a stretch, Dion. But what I'm saying is, um, when I look at like Thomas, is not that fast. You know what I'm saying? So he's, he's not. He's not the fastest guy in the world. A lot of people fear him because he's a technician, as far as his route running, and he's really, really strong. You know, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a strong guy, so he can kind of throw D-backs off of him. But when you look at Julio, to me, it's like you it, it's no weakness you can point out. He has hands, he has strength, and he has speed. He got size. So I'm like, he's Thomas. He's Thomas just with more uh, speed. And I feel like since he has the total package, I would kind of nod to him. But, you know, your argument is fair. I'm not saying, I'm not discounting your argument. So I guess mm-hmm. if I had to, had to argue somebody with Julio – it might be Thomas. Mm-hmm. Ev, where are you at? Evan, I think. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Uh, are we talking about production or talent? I, I, and that's the thing about it, Ev. So I think when you, when you measure players, I feel as though you have to, you know, you have to put both of them in, in the fact, mm-hmm. you know, because when you think about um, – People have numbers. So when the numbers are pretty much around the same thing, you mm-hmm. look at how are they producing? You know, how are they producing? Like uh, Dion brought up a great point. You know, Hopkins is producing with average quarterbacks. But my counter would be for that. They're force feeding him the ball because he's the only talent on that team. Like there's no mm-hmm. other notable talent on the Texans. You know what I'm saying? So they're force feeding him the ball. So he's going to, the more volume he gets, that he's going to have some production to that. So yeah. I'm saying, but what I'm saying to you is I would say you have to factor in all of it when you get to, they all having the same, like around the same roundabout stats. Yeah. I would say, I think Julio from a talent perspective and production perspective is the best. 
uh, followed close behind by Michael Thomas. But there's one name I want to add to the conversation, although he had a down year, was be Odell Beckham Jr. I think Odell Beckham Jr. could possibly be the best. I mean, if you think about it, Eli was an average quarterback for most of his career. I mean, not most of his career, but for most of Odell's career. Uh, hey, I think hey. Odell, <laughs> I think Odell, I think from a Tom perspective, Odell is just that dangerous. I mean, he can change the game in an instant. He has a, this. He, he's speedy. Um, when I say like Sean Jackson, I'm not saying he's as fast as Sean Jackson, but he's speedy, uh, game breaking speed. He's elusive. Um, he goes all up over the field. Uh, and so, if I were building a team around a wide receiver. Minus the mental issues he has, I will go that way. And you want to know what? I feel like that's a solid point. Like, let's not forget how Odell um, entered the NFL. I mean, he was breaking records in his first couple of seasons. He is beyond talented, and he has the potential. I agree. If, if he gets um, the therapy and counseling that he needs, I, I think in like the next three or four years, like he can really excel and be at, at the top of this list. So I, I think you have a solid point. I'm like this with y'all. So now I'm like, all right, so why is D-Hop producing at a, at a high level no matter what quarterback it is? And your boy Hopkins, I had him, I mean, your boy Odell, I had him on fantasy. He was a no-show last year. You know, so I'm like, if, if we add all these arguments in, we got to consider the fact that D-Hop, no matter who he was playing with, he was putting up numbers. And my man Odell, man, he just he just was putting on cleats last year. He had, he, he led the league in, led the league in the, the best-looking cleats. I'll give him that. But, <laughs> but Calvin, you you missed the point I just made. He needs therapy. So that that's the X factor that no one is talking about. This dude legitimately needs counseling. So once he gets the counseling, I feel like we should readdress this in a couple of years. <laughs> and, and two, Cle the curse of Cleveland is so great. I mean, it, 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 it almost broke LeBron. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man we could talk all day but i have to conclude this episode i want to thank everyone for coming out and thank our guest johnny willis too for giving us some insight on the bulls and these topics so please take the time listen share and also for our next episode coming through so we're finished with episode four thank you everyone we appreciate you and may god bless you